Good morning. Amen. My name is Derek. I'm one of the pastors here. And if, if this is only your third week here, you haven't heard me teach because we are so blessed to have others that can teach. Alex and Preston and Paul. Um, and we have such a variety of personalities. And I think it's healthy for us to have different voices speaking in. And some of us are more different than others. And that's helpful as well. Um, but we're just really blessed. And I'm blessed to be able to take two weeks and get ahead a little bit and pray about what's coming. And that was good for today's message as we're looking at marriage. Uh, and maybe I needed more time to, to pray on that and focus on that. And God knew that. So let me pray and we can get started. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for music. Um, and that in scripture, you, you command us, you, you ask us to sing a new song to you. That you've given music as a gift uh, for us to express ourselves to you, express our praise to you. And, and in our songs, we get to know you better. We get to learn truths of Scripture. And so I thank you for music. I thank you for the way that you've blessed us with this team that can lead us into worship. And now I ask that we would continue to worship with our hearts and our minds as we hear your word uh, and prepare to respond in, in both more worship and also in obedience. In your name, amen. So we, uh, we have a fifth grader who recently was learning long division. And I don't know if you remember doing long division. And, and math has changed a little bit. You know, they, they changed math for the younger kids doing this common core thing. And now they're trying to learn it the right way as they get into it. I don't know. Um, but what happened was, was our fifth grader was trying to do long division, and she kept getting the wrong answer because she was doing it wrong. And, and mom very lovingly was saying, you're doing it wrong. Can I help you? No, this is the right way. Well, you're getting the wrong answer. And she said, well, you're so mean to me because you're making me feel bad for getting the wrong answer. It's like, that's weird. You're doing it right. You know, and finally, she said, fine. And she listened to mom and she, she learned how to do it right. And she started doing it right and then consistently getting the right answer. And she was super excited because how much nicer is it to get through the, the math homework quickly and do it right than struggle through and get it wrong? But I think she really kind of gave us a picture of society a little bit. Uh, of well, you're making me feel bad by telling me I'm getting it wrong, so don't tell me I'm getting it wrong. And actually, I heard a, a podcast just in the last couple of weeks that there's places, I think it's New York, they're trying to change math so they don't tell kids they're getting it wrong because that makes them feel bad. I know, isn't that just crazy? Um, we want your truth to be true for you. And so if you tell a kid they're getting it wrong, that's not good for their self-esteem. So then later when they go into life and they need to put gravel in their driveway and they're trying to calculate how much and they get the wrong amount, what, I, it just doesn't work. Math works a certain way because it was made to work a, a certain way. God actually designed math and now we're just discovering it. In a similar way, Life is that way. Now, the last two weeks, I think, were awesome. Uh, Alex did a great job, and Paul did a great job, and there was somewhat of a theme through those two weeks of God has a, a plan as the designer. You know, Alex talked about reality. There is a reality, and God, as the designer, planned it, made it, put it into motion, and then gave us his word to instruct us. You know, his week, he locked, talked a lot about sexuality and, and other sins, but God's reality, his plan for that is great, in a certain way. And then last week, if you listen to Paul, and he used that picture of uh, a guy falling down the stairs, it was a sign, and you'll land in an alligator's mouth if you go down the stairs. So it was basically, watch your step, because if you go down my basement, you'll die. It, but his point was that that whole passage we were looking at is, you know, look carefully how you walk, Paul writes. Walk as in wisdom, not in foolishness. You know, walk as wise. Watch your step. So God has a plan for us, 
and he's shown us the way to walk. We just need to look carefully. We need to go his way. And today we're going to continue that theme, but we're going to look at marriage. We're going to look at more than just marriage. Paul somewhat expertly weaves together his teaching on marriage and some teaching on Jesus Christ himself in here. And what we're going to do is we're going to skip the Jesus part. Um, and cover that at the end. So as, as we're reading through, you're like, hey, you skipped two verses. Right, that's on purpose. But we're going to cover that in the end because it's kind of its own idea. Paul will share some things to husbands and then say something about Jesus that doesn't really apply to husbands. But there's this parallel of, of marriage and Christ and the church. And so, so bear with me as we go through. But I, I also want to give you a warning. Um, the biblical teaching on marriage is not uh, what our culture likes. You know, it's, it's not going to be politically correct. Now, as we understand it, we can go, oh, I understand God's way. And actually, that's awesome. Um, but I'm going to ask you, you know, bear with me to the end. You've probably heard this before. If you haven't, though, again, bear with me to the end because this is deep truths that God has planned for us to go the right way. And I, I wanted to kind of bring out at the beginning, why is marriage such a big deal? You know, why would we take a, a whole week here? We're going to talk about marriage. And some of you aren't married, but yet... This is, this is for you as well. This message is relevant. Maybe you're in a healthy marriage. Maybe you're not in a healthy marriage. Maybe one is a believer and one is not. This is still extremely valuable. Maybe someday you want to get married. You need to take really good notes uh, because who you marry makes a big deal. So I'm looking at you, youth. Levi, you're a little young, but still take good notes. And next week, I'm talking to children, so definitely be here next week. Um, but, but marriage is a big deal. It, it is actually the first institution that God made. You know, God created government, actually for our good, true story. Um, God created, you know, nations. He created all these things, but the first thing he created was the family. So the family really is the building block of society. As the family goes, so goes the rest of society. And I think you can look at our nation and go, yeah, I, I see that. The family has been crumbling for decades, and now we're surprised that we're going in this, this direction of, of, of sin and apart from what God's will would be. And what's the foundation of the family, it's the marriage. Uh, I've read several books on, you know, why do children leave the church? And the stats are fairly high of kids that grow up in church. Uh, when they get old enough, they leave. You know, high school, college age, they leave. Some come back, but many don't. And one of the big reasons, parents, one of the big reasons kids leave and don't come back is because of hypocritical parents. That's what they say, because at home, they weren't living what they said they believed. At church, they look good, and kids know. They're sitting in the back seat as you're driving to church. And then you get here, and you're like, oh, God bless you. I'll pray for you. You know, I mean, so, so this, this, this picture of, of doing religion and then living it differently. One study, this is uh, from an article saying, re, or the title was Reason Children Leave the Faith, said it this way. When you're growing up in a home that talks about love, grace, forgiveness, and joy, but isn't loving, gracious, forgiving, or joyful, God seems really distant or simply not that important. Marriage is a big deal. And our relationship with one another, husbands and wives, gives our children the best picture of Christ's love with the church and his relationship with us. It really is. And it's actually proof. Does your faith actually work? Or are you just doing religion? The home is the testing ground. You know, that's why you read in the test in, in several books toward, toward pastors and church leaders of church leadership. What's the first test for a church leader? It's the home. How are they doing in the home? Because if your faith, if your walk with Christ is working, it will show up in the home. 
So with that, turn to Ephesians 5, if you would. Turn to Ephesians 5. Now, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to be looking at verses 21 through 33. But we make a mistake. A lot of times we make a mistake. Look at your Bible, and you'll see maybe some of you, maybe most of us, between verse 21 and 22, there's a, a gap and a heading. I don't know if yours has that. The ESV has it. And mine says, wives and husbands, in between 21 and 22. Do you know the original Greek didn't have that? The, our translators have put this in for our benefit, for our help. The problem is, you read along, and a lot of times our sermons are going to start in verse 22. But really, this is all one thought, one paragraph. That, that gap isn't there. And I have a, actually a Bible, I think, did it right. They put that gap after verse 20 before verse 21. Because 21 really sets the stage for what comes below. But there's also context before that leads to all this. So I'm not going to reteach what Paul taught because he did an amazing job. But we need to look back at context. It begins in verse 15. Ephesians 5, verse 15 says... Look carefully then how you walk, not as wise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I thought Paul re really nailed that. The days are evil, so don't separate yourself from them. But we need to make the best use of them, meaning redeem them, buy them back. The evil things in this world, we can actually, God can reconcile back to himself. And so through us, we can capture those and bring them back. I think that's great for marriage. What's happening in marriage? Maybe you've been married a long time. Maybe you're brand new, you're struggling. Guess what? God can redeem it. God can bring it back and make it healthy and then make your marriage a picture to your kids, your neighbors, your church, those around you of Christ and the church. So we, we have to redeem it, but we do it by walking wisely. Verse 15, what is a wise walk? Uh, this week in our reading in Tozer's book, he says this, A.W. Tozer says this about wisdom. Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and to achieve those ends by the most perfect means. I think that's a really good definition. And so if we walk in wisdom, and God knows the perfect ends, and he's designed the perfect means to re reach those perfect ends, so in wisdom we would discover how has God designed something to work and go his way. So we want to walk in wisdom now. Look at verse 18. He says, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. That command there extends really to the rest of, through chapter 6. Be filled with the Spirit. If you want to walk wisely, be filled with the Spirit, meaning be controlled by Jesus. Be controlled by the Holy Spirit in you. This isn't a, a refilling. You know, we saw earlier in Ephesians that when you're saved, you're sealed with the Holy Spirit, meaning the Holy Spirit comes and dwells in you and lives with you for the rest of your life. Sealed, done. He doesn't come and go like he did in the Old Testament. He comes and he stays. So filled with the Spirit really is the idea of being controlled. The example here is don't be drunk with wine. When you're drunk, who's controlling you? What's controlling you? The alcohol. Don't do that. Rather, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. So what, being filled with the Spirit really is a moment-by-moment -moment decision to submit to Jesus. The new person in Christ is filled by the Spirit through moment-by-moment -moment surrender to Jesus. That's what filled with the Spirit is. So it's, God, what is your plan? Really, to, to walk in the Spirit, to be filled with the Spirit, it'd be great to be able to, like, freeze time. You know, and go, time out, you know, freeze time. God, what would you have me do here? Look in his word, you know, maybe call a lifeline. Hey, wise person who knows scripture, what's the right thing to do here? And then ask the Spirit to fill you. God, I love, you know, you go, we can't do that. Um, 
But that is the idea that moment by moment, God, what is your plan for me in this situation? I'm going to go that way. God, what do you love? I want to love what you love. Ooh, I just recognize I love some things that aren't in line with what you love. I desire some sin that, you know, God, let's, let's bring that together. So being filled with the Spirit is a moment by moment surrender to him, his plan, his wisdom, and then doing it, and then following him. Obedience is part of it. Now we go to verse 21. A big part of being filled with the Spirit, verse 21 says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Jesus follower, and we're going to say this a lot actually over the next couple weeks, the Jesus follower filled with the Spirit, meaning the person who belongs to Jesus saved, You've, you believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead. You've placed your faith in him as Lord. You've said, you are Lord of my life. I want to go your way. You're saved. This is you. Now, a desire to actually walk his way, not rebellion, but I want to be filled with the spirit. I want to glorify you, and I want the best life you have for me. Jesus said, I come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I want, that's who he's talking to. So that person is going to live in submission to one another. You know, he's speaking to the church. Now, submission is not popular. That's not our American thing. Our American thing is you get your rights, right? You know, work hard, achieve, move forward. You be first. Look out for number one. Submission is really placing yourself under others. That's what submission is. And we're called, and this is why verse 21 runs with the rest, because some of you are already skipping to the next one. Wives submit to husbands, and you don't like that. Well, we actually start with this one, where this mutual submission, this attitude that we all are to have to one another. And this attitude is really described well in Philippians 2, 3 through 5. That's going to be on the screen here. Where Paul also wrote this book, is teaching and, and giving us the example of Jesus. And he tells us, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Again, that's not the world's way. But that's God's way. And Jesus said, he said, even I didn't come to serve. No, that's not what he said. I didn't come to be served, but to serve. God in flesh came to serve, not be served. He's the example. And so our attitude, if we are spirit-filled, is that everybody else is more important than us. It doesn't mean they are more important, but it means that's our attitude. That's our approach. What do you want? No, what do you want? I mean, that's the picture. You know, you're going to go out to dinner after or out to lunch after church and where do you want to go oh i don't care where do you want to go well somebody has to make it but but that's the attitude wherever you want to go let's do that unless it's chinese but let's go wherever you want this is in your notes the spirit-filled jesus follower will consider others as more important than themselves and show a pattern of deference to fellow believers there's a pattern of deferring to you now we're not talking about you know things of sin things of evil we're going the wrong you know it's not like Ah, that's good for you, go do, we're talking about uh, opinions, um, attitudes, those types of things. And now we're going to look, what does this look like in marriage? Ephesians 5, 22. We're going to look at first what he says to wives. It says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to every, in everything to their husbands. 
In verse 22, that word submit is actually not even in the original Greek. Uh, it's verse 21, submitting to one another. In verse 22, it says, wives to husbands. Meaning, in this idea of all of us giving deference to others, wives, your unique role is to submit to your husband. Now, real quick, I want to point out what that is not. This does not call for obedience. That's interesting. Submission is not obedience. Submission, this is not um, an excuse for the husband to be the boss. You know, the husband isn't the boss. A lot of times that's what we kind of land. That's not it at all. This is not a, an excuse to put up with any kind of abuse or oppression. This is not a husband making unilateral decisions. You know, the church, uh, Christians historically have, have at times not done this right. Whereas husbands have become these, you know, I'm in charge, I'm the boss, I make the decisions, I decide. Fine. That's not what this teaches. It does teach leadership. But it's also not a claim of value. You know, a lot of times we get this, and this is, you know, the feminist movement that really started in the 60s. I understand that. The, and it's the idea of, of value of, well, men are, are the leaders, and so they're more important. The Bible doesn't teach that at all. In fact, we already saw in Ephesians we are co-heirs. Paul made very clear we are equal before the Lord. You look back in Genesis when God created woman, and he looked at man who was all alone. I got a great joke later if you want to hear it. Uh, he looked at man, and he said, it's not good for man to be alone, so I'll make a helper suitable. Again, we hear that, and we're like, submissive helper? Oh, that's lower. That word helper is used 20 other times in the Old Testament. Every single time, you know who it refers to? God. God is called our helper. So it's not, you see, that's not a role of value at all. You know, you've probably heard it said, yeah, the, the husband is the head, but the woman is the neck. And so everywhere she turns, the head goes. <laughs> this is in your note. The wife is instructed to willingly place herself under her husband's leadership. That's what this is talking about. It's, it's the leadership responsibility. And we're going to see that to husbands in just a minute. But it's the leadership responsibility, and the wife is to support him in that role. One writer, I think, expressed this well. He said, women should not seek to assert themselves in the home in a way that could be viewed as ruling, controlling, or dominating. Rather, they must acknowledge the God-given role assigned to the husband and respect the leadership he endeavors to provide for the family. I thought that's phrased really, really well. It doesn't mean you stay in an abusive relationship. It doesn't mean you put up with anything. And if you're in that situation and you wonder, seek godly counsel. You know, see our prayer team. Come talk to me. It, this doesn't mean you ever stay in any kind of abusive situation. But you see your husband as the leader and support him and encourage him and help him because he needs your help. In fact, there's many things you're going to be way better at, maybe everything, than him. That doesn't matter. The point is that then you, you help. And verse 33, we're going to skip to the end, actually clarifies the spirit of the wife. He sums up his, his teaching on marriage by saying, However, let each one of you, husbands, love his wife as himself, and let the wife see to it that she respects her husband. Respect, weight, honor, value. That's the attitude that a wife is to have with her husband, meaning you want his success. Ladies, we need to know you're behind us. You are our number one 
everything. <laughs> and we need to know you believe in us. We need to hear it, too. We, we pretend like we're tough, and maybe some of these other guys are. Um, but we, and I'm not going to say this next service because Callie will be here. But, but we, we need to know you are behind us and you believe in us. It changes everything for us. We need your respect. Here's how you can chop our knees out like that. Talk down about us to anybody. Your mother, your best friend, talk us down. Oh, my husband, this, that's, that's the opposite of respect. Cut our knees out. And the picture we see here, here is he says, uh, wives submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's verse 22. Meaning this is your role, not value, but this is your role given by God. So the, the picture is that in your submitting to your husband, you're really submitting to Jesus. And so I, I like the picture of you have your husband in front of you and behind him is Jesus, God, great and big. And really you're submitting to him. You know, maybe it feels like you're giving your husband lip service, but you're submitting to Jesus is your Lord and you're willing to submit to him because you know his way is right. Interesting thing this morning in my personal reading, um, I was encouraged by Psalm 111.10. It says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All those who practice it have a good understanding. His praise endures forever. Meaning all those who practice what he tells us to do have understanding. What he's saying is if you hear what God says and you don't want to do it, you're a dummy. That's the New Living Translation. But, but it says that elsewhere. If you hear what God says, you refuse to do it, you're, you're a fool. The scripture talks about the foolishness of hearing but going your own way. You know, the, the picture of the man who builds his house on the sand and the rain's coming and it washes away. We hear what God says and we build our life on his truth. Like math, there's a right way to do math. This is the right way to do marriage. Not when it feels right, not when he's doing it right, because he's going to mess up a lot, but this is the plan. Now, husbands, we're given one command, one example, and one explanation, but we're given a lot more verses. It says in verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Husbands, what is our command? To lead? Nope. To rule? Nope. To make decisions? Nope. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Christ love the church? How did he love us? He went to the cross. He took on the sin of the world for us. He died for us. Now, you may be thinking as a husband, I'll take a bullet for my wife. I'll jump in front of a car, a truck, and you should if it comes to that, but that's actually easier than what this is calling for. This is calling for a day-by-day day dying to self and living for her. That's what this is talking about. The husband is told to lead, but it's servant leadership. And in Scripture, anytime anybody is called to leave, it's servant leadership, meaning you leverage yourself for those you, you lead. You strive for their success above yours. You strive to supply all that they need. That's biblical leadership. And laying down your life for your wife is a daily thing. This is in your note. The husband is commanded to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And love, we've defined it, is doing what's best for the other person when they least deserve it at great personal cost. And so what does that look like? 
Sorry, I'm moving quick. You have to listen fast. The husband who is filled with the Spirit will die daily to himself and live for his wife. Listen, this is when we're doing it right. When we're filled with the Spirit, when, when we surrender to God's wisdom and do it his way, our main thing every day with our wife is to love her. To love her. Now, here's the thing, man. We're wired a little bit different in general. We're wired a little bit differently. Um, ladies, you are much better at understanding emotions and, and what people are actually thinking. We take a little bit more work, and I think Paul knows that. So he gives us this example uh, in verse 26. Or, no, we're going to skip two verses. We'll come back to them. Verse 28, he says, In the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. So he gives them this command, love your wives. And I, I picture the husbands hearing that going, mm, got it. What? <laughs> I don't get it. What's that mean? So he gives an example. All right, like your body. You know, everybody takes care of their own body. So what do you do with your body? So when you're hungry, what do you do? Eat. Good. <laughs> when you're tired, what do you do? Sleep. There, you know, you're, you're getting it. When you cut your finger real bad, what do you do? Super glue and duct tape. You know, we, we know how to take care of our own body. That, that's what he's talking about. With, with your wife, you take care of her like you would your own body. It takes effort. It takes intentionality, and he gives us a really good example, two words, really, as he's talking about this. The first one is to nourish. Just like you would nourish your body, you nourish your wife. That word very plainly means to feed, to give her what she needs. This is the easy one. You know, right? We think, okay, great. I'll provide. I'll work hard. You know, you have a car. You have gas in the car. We have a house. We can start a fire. We have food on the table. You, you know, I'm providing. And a lot of times we men, we're like, I'm doing my job. I'm providing for my family. Yeah, good. That's one. See that they're provided for. That's the easy one. You know, I got that. The next one is to cherish. You know what that word means? It very literally means to warm. It's the word used for a hen on her chicks. Yeah, man, do you like that? Like a, you know, warming. So this is the picture of listening and giving them what they need emotionally and all that stuff. Me, uh, lately, I have not done super great. Um, and I, I have good excuses why. Um, you know, for the last year and a half, we've been building a house. So I've been working two full-time jobs. And so a lot of times I don't come home till 9 o'clock and, and, and it's dark. And she wants to talk and she starts talking and I'm just out. Um, and so a couple weeks ago, she said, you know, I feel like we're not connected emotionally. So I've done a lot better over the last couple weeks of, hey, let's talk about our feelings. And then we'll talk a little bit. And then I, are you connected emotionally yet? You know, <laughs> she's like, I'm sick of you. Stop it. But she's not sick of me. <laughs> but but it's, it, it's been good. You know, she, she had the wherewithal to, to share how she was feeling. I feel like we're not as connected. And you know what she wanted? You know, here's a really good, this happens all the time. Hey, how are you? Great, how are you? Blah, 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 blah. A few minutes later, hey, how are you? You already asked me that. Yeah, but you didn't really answer. You know, I really want you to talk. I really want to hear what's going on in your life. You know, we don't, we're mad. We don't need, yeah, we do. Or she needs to hear what's going on in our hearts. And so it was that where I started just sharing some things in my life and the things that I'm worried about and this and that. And she's like, that's what I need. I'm like, so we're connected now? It's like, shut up. 
But, but that's what they need. They need to be, to be warmed, to be listened to, to be cared about. In 1 Peter, uh, the apostle Peter wrote to husbands and wives, and he reiterated this in a different way. 1 Peter 3, 7, it's on the screen. He said, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A couple things here. It says, live with your wives in an understanding way. That means as unto knowledge. What Peter's saying is, get to know your wife always, Figure her out as best you can and give her what she needs. Show her honor. I mean, that picture of honor, that lifting up as the weaker vessel. Now, that's not talking about, about strength or they're, they're broken. They're, what that, talk, that word means more precious. So what we're talking about is fine china. Maybe some of you have that china passed down from great, great, great grandma. You don't know what to do with it, but you're not allowed to throw it away. But it looks really good. What do you, and what do you do with that? You, you put it up. You know, in a china hutch so people can see it. You know, you're out of the reach of the kids. That's kind of the picture of husbands, us with our wives. She's precious. You know, like a diamond precious, but, but fragile like china. That's how we handle them. You know, put them up on display. So as people see how you husbands love your wives, they should walk away like, like this. Man, she's valuable to him. Holy mac. You, that's, that's the picture. And again, we see the, the, the parallel is Christ and the church how Christ values us. Again, wisdom. What is wisdom? Wisdom, among other things, is the ability to devise perfect ends and achieve those ends by the most perfect means. God's design for marriage, husbands, is that you love your wives in this way. It takes work. It takes effort. Again, like math. Like math, this is the right way to do it. It's not the world's way. The world tells us, do what makes you happy, right? You be you, you do your thing. But for husbands and wives to do this well, turn off our phones. You know, get off our screens, look at each other, talk to each other. Actually ask, what can I do for you? And then do it. And if you know what it is, do it beforehand, like the dishes or whatever that would be. We serve. So back to the math idea, God's equation for marriage, respectful submission plus sacrificial love equals abundant relationship. This isn't in your notes, so you might want to write that down. But this is the idea, again, the designer designed life. God designed everything. He put the planets in motion. He made all the gravity and all that stuff work perfectly for life on earth. He designed it like a clock. Then he designed our relationships the first of all, marriage. So who are we to look at his plan and go, eh, I know better. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. God wants us to flourish. He wants what's best for us. He's not this angry, bitter God that wants us just to do what he wants and, you know, follow him, serve him. He needs us. He wants, I mean, look at Jesus. He gave everything to us. That's life. And so his way to do marriage is the best way. But here's the thing, none of us are going to do it right, not perfectly, not completely. Ladies, your husband, he's going to mess it up. You can give him an elbow, name him like last week of where he met, don't actually. You know, he's going to do it wrong. Wives are not always going to do it right. And so let's come back to, to verse 20, or maybe it was verse 21. 
Yeah, verse 21, submit to one another. Have this attitude that they are more important. Grace, and then you have grace for them, and then you look at yourself. What do you do? Walk wisely and walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. Now, we're going to transition a little bit. Paul's going to come up, and, and, and I'm going to transition now to what this talks about Christ. And we're going to go through this somewhat quickly. This is going to be our movement into our time of response. You know, we're going to be taking communion in a few minutes. And, and communion is our time to remember what Jesus did for us. It's our time to remember Jesus' death on the cross that bought our salvation, that bought forgiveness. Through his blood, we are reconciled to God. And so here, we're going to skim through these verses again real quick and look at what they say about Jesus. These are some of the best verses that talk about just Jesus. You know, we believe in the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But this is Jesus. What has he done? Look back, if you would. Verse 23. It says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. This is not talking about husbands in this last part. Husbands, we are not the saviors of our wives. But Jesus, who loved us and gave himself for us, uh, up for us, he's our savior. Each of us, we know, we look in the mirror, we have this sin issue. We need to be made right with God. We need a savior. Jesus is our savior. And how did he save us? Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We are saved because Jesus God in flesh looked down, saw our situation, loved us enough to say, I'm coming there. He took on flesh. I like that song we sang before with, with mercy in his eyes, with love in his eyes. He came. He went to the cross. We, we can't even fathom what he suffered. He took the sins of the world on his shoulders. Not only was he beaten with a whip that had bone and pottery on it, that every time it got into its back, it ripped the flesh off. Not only was, was this crown of thorns put on his head, and the blood ran in his eyes, and he had to then carry his cross to his place of death and couldn't make it. God in flesh couldn't make it. He, he just collapsed. Somebody else carried it for him. Even more than that, on the cross, it was finished. He took our sins. This is what he went through for us. If you're in here and you do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, this is the truth. God died for you. Jesus died for you so you could live. And this abundant life is available to you now and for eternity. A complete and full sacrifice. But more, it talks more. Look at verse 26. That Jesus, who died on the cross for us, why? That he might sanctify her, that is the church. That's all of us that belong to him. That he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. This is not to husbands. Husbands, you don't sanctify your wives. This is referring to Jesus and the church. He sanctifies us, means purifies us. This is this process. We're saved by Jesus, and now we're in this process, becoming more like Jesus until something great is coming. But we're in this process, and he is sanctifying you, meaning, are you convicted today maybe by what we've read? That may be the Holy Spirit using his word. What's it say? He washes with the word. He washes with the word, beginning with the truth of Jesus, our first cleansing from sin, and then a continued cleansing of purification, largely through his word, spoken like this, read on your own time, talked about in groups, He watched, so you're, you'll be convicted. You'll hear his word, and you'll go, I, don't, I, I have to change. 
He'll convict you, and then he'll empower you. He is cleansing. He's doing this work. So much hope is in that he's doing this work. Are you struggling like me? Do you get frustrated that you're not there yet? You have times where your wife reminds you a little bit, lovingly, hopefully, that we can do better, and you get frustrated. Well, guess what? The hope isn't in your ability. The hope isn't in you. It's in Jesus. He sanctifies us. Why does he sanctify us? Verse 27, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. This is coming. Meaning when Jesus returns, he is right now sanctifying you and me individually and us as a group. He's purifying us, getting rid of sin, setting us on mission to do great things in the world for him so that when he comes back, he will present us to himself. That's a little bit weird. He's got both roles. He's cleansing us so that he will present us to himself perfect, clean. This gives me so much hope that it's not about me. He's doing the work. And wherever we are in the process, when Jesus returns, we get new bodies. We're cleansed of the sin. We need to submit to the process until then. But when he comes back, it will be completed, done, sure, positive. This is happening. This is our hope. And again, this is part of what we celebrate when we do the Lord's Supper. Jesus said, do it as often as you do it in remembrance of me until I come again. He said, I'm not going to drink of the cup again until I drink it with you at this next feast we're going to have in heaven. This is in your notes. Christ loves us, sacrificed himself for us, saves us, sanctifies us, makes us his own, and will present us to himself to be his own at the end of time. It's all about Jesus. You want a healthy marriage? It's all about Jesus. You see, we, we look at this picture of marriage, and it's a picture of Christ and the church. When I do premarital counseling, we talk about that. Wives, the way you submit to your husband should give a picture of how the church submits to Jesus in everything. Why, or husbands, as the, the world looks at you with your wife, they see how Christ loves the church. Our kids are going to get no better picture of the gospel than us living in our marriage relationship. So now let's take the Lord's Supper. Let this be a time of you remembering what he did. If God has brought something to mind, as James 1.22 says, be doers of the word and not hearers only. What do we need to do to change? What does God want to do in and through you? Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the picture that you've given us of you and your church. Jesus, you have given us the example of how to be a perfect husband. You've given us as the church instruction that also parallels how to be a wife. But God, we admit this is hard for us. We're selfish. Husbands and wives, kids, adults, single people, we struggle with being selfish. But as we look, Jesus, at who you are, and what you've done, how you are our Savior, you sanctify us, and you are purifying us until the end. It's all up to you. All we have to do is submit and surrender. I thank you. Thank you for that security. Forgive us for our slowness, for our slowness to submit. But God, be glorified now. And Holy Spirit, I ask for your power, your power for us to walk in victory, to walk in wisdom, that our marriages would thrive. God, that our kids would not leave the church. They would not leave you because they learned real faith that our kids would have great marriages because they marry well. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.